good afternoon and of course a very warm welcome to all of you for today's podcast brought to you by of course equine devil's advocate it is follow-up friday once more and follow-up friday is of course the day where we get to hear your correspondence now it has been a chilly chilly week no beast it so happens just crispy frosty white mornings quite tame by comparison i think to some of your winter weather and not nearly as kind as the weather that others of you get but it is dry which is always a bonus because it staves off the necessity for the rubber gear anyway a big thank you to everyone who took the time to write in um it is much appreciated and valued and we do have a very mixed bag today. So, please do make yourselves comfy, or if you're driving, pay attention to the road and the traffic. Now, today's correspondence is, of course, in answer to our specialist topic question that was put forward by somebody. That question being, can a horse be trained using only positive reinforcement training? which we tend to think of as clicker training. So, let's take a look and see what came in. Now, this one is from the person that actually posed the question. They say, I found it very interesting and learnt a lot. I did not know that positive reinforcement goes back so far. Before the podcast, I was leaning towards Biscuit, but after Monday's podcast, I am now Koya. Like you said, I think it is possible to train a horse using only positive reinforcement under the right circumstances. But it takes time, commitment, discipline, and the trainer must be informed and very precise with the rewarding, not something that everybody can do right or even have access to a trainer using only positive reinforcement. In the future, I will be using positive reinforcement more as a way to have fun with my horse and to bond with my horse. Maybe teach her a few tricks along the way, as we are both having fun. I think it takes the pressure off both horse and rider and makes the bonding process more relaxing. I also understand that behaviour considered wrong undesirable must be acknowledged by the rider owner trainer and not be ignored i think there is a time and a place for both positive and negative reinforcement and it is up to the rider owner trainer to determine what to do thank you very much for getting back to us that's brilliant and interesting that you've kind of switched slightly from um, biscuit to Koya. But absolutely, that is what discussion and debate is all about. Now, this next one is also from Camp Koya. I was recently told my horse is quirky as I have allowed him to express his character and not disciplined him. In my eyes, this is a positive, even if it wasn't said in a positive way as it means he can be who he is as a person without worry that he is going to be told off. 
I have seen and heard of stories where doing so much reinforcement of the positive and negative kind, eventually the spirit of the horse has gone as they are no longer thinking for themselves, but waiting on the next direction given by their person. Although, yes, I probably let my horse get away with things that annoy other people on my yard, it works for mine and his relationship, and him being able to express his cheeky character never fails to make me laugh. Now, there was rather a lot from the uh, Camp of Hot Stuff. A lot of you actually said the same thing, or very similar things, um, along the lines of you'd seen it mentioned or talked about or on social media and the like or perhaps even that you've been acquainted with someone who had uh, tried it. Many people started with the idea that it seemed like they'd rather liked it and it was a good idea but all fell flat in terms of results. Or the other thing that you said was that you couldn't actually see it working with your own horse due to its personality. Some of you went as far as to say you couldn't really understand there being any benefits, especially as there seems to be no solution to the unwanted behaviour. Fair enough. Now, here's one that was a tad more detailed, so let me read this to you from the camp of Hot Stuff. This one is from somebody that says, Oh my goodness, great question. Brought some memories back for me. There was a time when I was very taken with the idea of using that method. I did my homework and I brought books so I could learn and develop the technique properly and thoroughly. I started to practice with my terrier that I had at the time. She took to it like a duck to water and was totally responsive and loved the game of it. Thinking I now had my timing and technique down pat, I took it to my horses. My boys at that time were both quite food orientated, so I began with a slightly older one of the two, he being a bit more level-headed and mature. The first five minutes seemed to go quite well, but by minute seven, when he realised he had to work for reward, he became very bored and waltzed off to graze. From then on, he remained completely disinterested and wouldn't even engage. The younger of my two boys was naturally more gregarious, so I hoped for a better response. He took about four minutes to work it out and then completely took over, preempting all my cues until the point at which he knocked the clicker from my hand and just mugged me for treats. Perhaps there was fault in my timing and technique, granted it is not as easy as it can look, but for me, with horses, definitely no. It led me to problems I didn't have before, problems that needed to be resolved afterwards. I will say, though, I thoroughly recommend it with excitable terriers. Well, that's always good to know. I might gift one to my neighbour so he can get his wayward westies under control. 
Now, I do have a correspondence for you from the camp of Biscuit. But before we go into this one, there is something, something that I have not had to do before. But this correspondence actually comes with a warning. There is some of it that you may not wish to hear. Something perhaps that is exactly what I loosely describe as unsavory. In fact, thinking about it, perhaps the best way to go about this is to read you the precursor email to this person's story. It might make more sense from that perspective. It goes like this. Hi, Equine Devil's Advocate. I have thought long and hard about sharing this, my story, with you and your listeners. How to and even if to. The reason being, the beginning at least is quite horrifying, although that is not the purpose of my sharing. I want to tell others that clicker training saved my filly's life. There is no exaggeration in my statement, but without telling the severity of the full story, I don't know how to justify my statement. I am more than happy for you, Equine Devil's Advocate, to decide if the story is appropriate for you to share or perhaps you can reframe it and share it in a better way. It is not my intention to shock or upset, but either way, please know that clicker training did literally save her life and her sanity. So firstly, I want to say thank you so much for putting the story forward. It's very kind of you, and it is a tricky one. I have obviously read your full story more than once, I will say, and I totally understand where you're coming from. If I don't tell the whole story, then, yeah, absolutely, it is more open to interpretation rather than its reality. So, I too have thought long and hard about the best thing to do and the best way to go about it. Now, as we are about honesty and objectivity, and I did say in series two we were going to delve more into the nitty-gritty of the horse world. This is quite a big delve, it has to be said. My conclusion, our decision, is to read it as written. But before I do, I'm going to give you, obviously the listeners, the option as to whether you want to hear it or not. I'm going to play our signature music after a countdown, five to one, to give you time to decide either way. Now, the music is about 45 seconds. The email takes about seven and a half minutes. So, if you'd rather, please do skip forward, or you can just stop and leave it at that, at the music. There is, of course, another option for you, which is to pause, give it some thought, and perhaps resume when and if you feel you are ready. Now, before I do that countdown and play the music, there are a couple more things I would actually like to add beforehand. One 
is that I do have something to talk to you about afterwards. And the other is that there is another justification, another reason for giving you the opportunity to hear this story. And that is that it is truly a real example of someone having the resolve, the inclination and the foresight to bring some good, to really act and elicit change for the better and find a way forward. That, in my book, deserves acknowledgement at the very least. And also, in part, it's an acknowledgement to all of those of you out there who work tirelessly in the background in rescues and charities. We know that you're faced daily with the appalling and picking up the pieces and putting back together the broken. Doing your very, very best to restore something good in the lives of those that you look after and you probably don't get the respect and the praise that you really truly deserve so without further ado the choice is yours whichever you feel most comfortable with is absolutely fine the countdown begins now five four three Two, one, music. of you still with us let's get into it it goes like this here is my story there were some traveler types camping at a location where I would frequently hack my horse I noticed a chestnut filly they had tethered a really unusual type in that situation very Araby looking and young about 16 18 months old one day, riding past on my way home, I saw a man hit her really hard with the flat side of a metal shovel. She was clearly terrified, so I shouted at him more out of reflex than bravery. He stopped and had a few choice words for me, too, to the effect of, mind your own business. I told him that if I saw anything like that again, I would immediately report him, and I continued home. I was shaken up by the confrontation and what I had seen. Initially, I intended to stay away and not use that ride for fear of my safety. But by that evening, I couldn't stop thinking about the chestnut filly, and her safety became more important than my 
So I decided on a display of bravery, not that I am. I decided to ride past every day as a display of strength, and that I was not intimidated. All seemed quiet for the next few days. Then, needless to say, because these things don't just stop, I heard a noise—a noise that I have never heard before or since, and I never want to. It was the filly screaming. I felt physically sick to my stomach. She was lying on the floor screaming, and the man was standing over her, beating her with the shovel. Somehow, I don't really know how. I felt like I was in a dream, but I called the police and told the man that I had it all on video, and that I would make sure he was prosecuted. The whole thing is a bit of a blur, really. The filly, through the whole incident, was shaking on the floor, making the most pitiful sound. The man was yelling at me, and somehow, to my amazement, my horse coped with the whole situation. So the end result was: I said I wouldn't proceed with prosecution if he sold her to me right here and now in front of the police. I think he was caught off guard because he agreed. Immediately, I called my husband. Luckily, he was at home. He went straight to the bank and then collected the trailer. And I stayed where I was with the police until he arrived and the deal was done. We took her home. My horse was at livery. Luckily, there was space for her too. Everyone on the yard was fantastic. They rallied round to get everything ready for her. This was just the beginning, though. We had a big problem. Everyone knew or was informed what had happened, but no matter how careful or discreet, if any one of them picked up a fork or a broom within her sight, she threw herself to the ground and screamed, even though. They were nowhere near her. Well, I hope you're all all right listening to it because I have to say it's actually quite hard to read it, even though I've read it a few times. So, right. She goes on to say, "I don't wish to labour this point. I just want to explain the severity of her trauma. I cannot thank the other people on my yard enough. Everyone went to great lengths to work around this trauma issue." And slowly, over time, things did ease. It seemed that time, understanding, and trust was the best help we could offer. We got to where she could accept brooms and sweeping. Forks were okay, and then we moved forward to plastic shovels. There came a point at which they were also tolerable. All in all, it took about a year for her to be able to cope with the regular goings-on in a yard and just the sight of the tools. But the story does not end here. I reached the point where I could scoop a dropping from her stable with a plastic shovel, provided she was loose and not tied up. I thought we were out of the woods, but. Out of the blue, one day, her trauma and fear turned to blind 
rage. I was doing exactly as I had described and had done many times before, picking up carefully one dropping. She reared up, flew at me, mouth wide open, like a Mustang stallion in the height of aggression. She knocked me to the ground, bit me so hard on the shoulder and knelt on my chest, pinning me to the floor. Three other people witnessed it. I cannot tell you the shock. The shock hit me so hard. To see her in the first stages of trauma was hard enough to bear. To see her slowly let go and come round was so rewarding. But the shock was that she hadn't come round. She had been brewing, bubbling anger all under the surface. And when she blew, she blew and was very likely to do it again. When it erupted, well, what can I say? She was now violent and very dangerous. We had failed and we were very, very afraid. It seemed the end of a now sad journey. She was severely damaged goods. It was a very difficult time for me because in part I did concede with others that perhaps the kindest thing to do was to make that call to the vet. In fact, I had the phone in my hand many, many times but couldn't quite bring myself to dial the number. I turned to a long-time friend, mainly just to talk it through, as she was not especially horsey. But it was that friend who said, you must try clicker training. I was very, very sceptical. In fact, I didn't know much about it. Having then been given a number of a very skilled recommended professional, I thought, give it a chance. At least try. Well, as I said at the beginning, it saved her life. Not only that, it gave her a long, fulfilled and fruitful one. It was a very gentle, careful process at the hands of someone unafraid and extremely skilled. I think, in hindsight, the mistake we made was facing her with the same objects to get past her fear and trauma, albeit slowly and gently, we didn't ever give her something else to think about. The clicker training did. In time, through process, it reset her mind and her focus. It gave her a choice. She let go of the trauma and the rage bit by bit by learning something completely new. God forbid that someone else is in the same position that I was in with this filly, but I wanted to share the benefit that clicker training brought to me and could perhaps bring to you if you find yourself at the end of a road. Well, we would just like to say many, many thanks once again for sharing your story and I think it's very hard to hear but it does actually give some hope and a bit of inspiration you never know 
your story could conceivably save more lives. And I also wanted to add, this is a very real scenario. It is something that I have come across on different levels more frequently than one would like to know about. With your filly, obviously, it's one of extremes. There's one end of the spectrum right the way through to the other. But this is something that really surprises people. I think we get very, very wrapped up in the idea that being the, the rescuer, the, the kind person, the saviour, if you like, tends to make us think that the horse will, oh, how best to put it, love us for it forever. And it's extremely shocking when that turns around and turns against you. You see, the biggest problem with this is it's actually misinterpretation. You see, it's exactly because we are the trusted one, the known person, the safe place, that they will express to us what's bubbling under the surface. That might sound a little bit confusing and complex, but look at it this way. Try and think of this as an analogy. You are really, really upset and angry about something. You're absolutely about to burst. Who do you choose to burst at? It will very likely be the safest person you know safe from consequences and backlash. If you're not so certain, it's also likely that you will tamper your outburst to that effect. You're more likely to blast off at someone that you love and trust than anyone else. And really, it's the same for the horse. The shock is, of course, how it happens. Words, yelling and tears are one thing, but physical force is quite another. Horses don't have words, so the physical becomes the expression. It's a huge ball of energy, and it's very, very daunting. But it's not actually as uncommon. It does happen a lot at various different levels. I, in fact, have often heard people say they rescued a horse and it will be all oh, roses and rainbows when the horse is fixed up and in good health. Well, our advice is to think very carefully and objectively at what is really going on at every step of the way. Don't be blinded by the idea of love. Love has many, many forms, many shapes, and many expressions. It can be very hard to define. So don't let the idea of love mislead you. And so, on that note, we will love you and leave you for today. And please do, of course, join us again here at Equine Devil's Advocate this coming Monday. Until then, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, take care, and we will, of course, speak very, very soon.